0: Welcome to MHTV. We're absolutely delighted to have you with us tonight. We've got a very, very special guest. I think you can see who that is. But before we get started on introductions, can I just go to Dave so he can show you how you can join in and ask questions and just participate tonight because we always really want to hear from you. Dave? Thanks, Nikki. Yeah,
1: as always, guys, if you want to get involved tonight, you've got a couple of options. The first is on Twitter. All you need to do is use the hashtag MHTV if you include that in all your tweets then we'll be able to search for them and see them and hopefully bring some of them into tonight's conversation the other option is on the facebook live feed and all you need to do it, again is just write us a message questions comments any thoughts any sort of love for elizabeth tonight pop it in there and we'll be able to feed it through to the conversation but without further ado straight back to you nicky
0: yeah um and in some ways elizabeth needs no introduction but i think let's let's hand over to her so tell us a little bit about you first imagine there's someone who hasn't heard of you and what you do tell them tell them please
2: introduce yourself so i'm very old i'm um, 74 (laughs) (laughs) and uh i'm a retired professor of nursing now but i started um actually for the professional the personal because that is what has influenced Mm -hmm all the various issues that I've been involved with, which is I'm mixed race. My parents, my mother was white Irish, uh, born uh, in, in this country, I'm talking about England. And my father was Nigerian, both of my parents are deceased now. And I was the outcome of an affair that they had when they were both students at Cambridge University in the in well i was born just after the second world war so that 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 gives you some and uh i'm i'm talking about that just so that people are reminded possibly of the context of that era to uh be catholic uh well i actually think about my talk about my life and my memoirs i say think Philomena meets Barack Obama's dreams from my father, and mm. I, I I think that conjures up for every because they're very very sort of iconic and familiar um books and people. and so the uh, my mother though unlike Philomena, wasn't wasn't living in Ireland and wasn't born and brought up in Ireland. But the themes are there in terms of the Catholic faith. And uh, um, and so the shock of her becoming pregnant when she wasn't married, mm. uh, she couldn't even bring herself to tell her parents that she was pregnant. And it wasn't until after uh, when they came to see mom and the, me in the court, the nun, the Irish nun who was running the mother and baby home, stopped my grandparents in their track and said, ah, to be sure, the baby's a little dark. Mm. So I I think we talk about intersectionality now, don't we? Mm. And Mm -hmm. I I know my life and I think many other people's lives, once I got my head around intersectionality, I I realised, there you go, with race, class, um, gender, uh, ethnicity, I mean, everything. Mm. educate, you know, it's all rolled into one. And that's why I spent the first nine years of my life in a children's home. But my mother never refused obstinately to give me up for adoption, even though she was encouraged to do that. Mm. And uh, then I went to live with her and my stepfather. But that only lasted 20 months. This was now in Wolverhampton in the mid-1950s. nineteen, mid late 1950s. Mm-hmm. And my stepfather couldn't cope with the teasing he was having at work, apparently about, this is the terminology of that era. What's he mm-hmm. doing allowing his woman to have a half-tasked child in the house? Mm-hmm. And without my mum's knowledge, started to physically abuse me. Then I got rescued by my maternal grandparents. And I lived my uh, adolescence in the northwest of England. Yeah. And, um, so I, I thought I'd just give you that sort of. Um, that's the backdrop to my early life. Mm-hmm. Please feel free if you want to explore any of that or, yeah. or go it's tumultuous,
0: on. though, isn't it? Do you not? Do you not think?
2: Yeah. Oh no. Um, the reason I wrote my memoirs, to be quite honest, mm-hmm. was that when friends and colleagues colleagues heard about my early life, they, I mean, the word gobsmacked was used.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Absolutely gobsmacked because I didn't know my father in that period. Mm-hmm. Mm. I had my mother's maiden name. And so, and I moved around so much because of all these issues. Mm. So, people, you know, were were saying, how come, how come you didn't have mental health problems? How come you didn't become addicted? How come you, you need to tell your narrative because it's, Mm. it's, I think these narratives are getting told more now. But my, my, my friends and colleagues were saying, we don't hear narratives like yours. How no. how did do you have any idea how you overcame all these issues, mm. or just write about your life? Mm. And do you
0: has that something that you've been able to sort of spend some time thinking about how you found yourself, how you found your identity, how you figured out who you were and who you were going to be?
2: Well, I've been. I, I, I don't have any psychiatric nurse training at all, mm. um, but obviously, from what I've learned from health visiting. Mm. in particular but also i think common sense as well um in the sense that certainly the fact that i've never felt rejected by my mother mm. and and i know that sense of rejection is so traumatic to individuals and can scar them for the whole lives i, I i'm totally aware of that mm. and so that is that is definitely one factor um the others was that there always seemed to be somebody looking out for me, somebody who saw something mm. in me. I wasn't totally aware of that until I got a bit older.
3: Mm.
2: And then uh, another landmark um, point in my life was when I was nearly 25 and I was I suddenly found my father. I literally mm. suddenly, I mean, that's the story in itself. Mm. I found him with, within three days of looking for him. Um, so that sorted out my nigerian identity and i'm mm. obviously i've always had my mother's love and i've had mm. very strong irish uh yeah. cultural influences um uh, in the convent i was doing irish dancing uh living with my grandparents mm. it was the irish waiting for the shamrock to come you know yeah yeah. so i had, I had Quite the- a powerful mix of cultures isn't it well you come from some it, fighters interesting <laughs> but of course I, I my my first cultural influences were irish and english
3: mm. because
2: nobody spoke about my father i mean they just didn't yeah. speak about him Yeah. and so gradually i'm you know looking at my skin color and and i know i'm intelligent i didn't realize i was intelligent when i was young yeah so that's quite interesting it, that that was the sort of gradual realization in mid-adulthood sort of thing yeah. so I think that that those are some of the the factors mm. in, in particularly in terms looking back at my childhood mm. um that uh, that yeah. have been a big influence
0: That's interesting isn't it? because when you even you're talking about adverse childhood experiences and resilience and people always say you just need that you just need one person just one person around just to slightly tilt that balance because children naturally, Thrive unless you keep stopping them, and and what you're talking about is incredibly, um, it's incredibly moving, incredibly strong, and I, I don't know how you did it, frankly.
2: <laughs> well, the, the, there are there are scars, you know, yeah. internally, and you yeah. know, but but I, I think I was um, I found books a refuge as well, mm. and I learned from books. I think you know this self education that many mm. of us do without being mm. aware of it but I was always, I'm very nosy Mm. and I'm very curious as to how some people who seem to have a lot of privileges, et cetera, life didn't go well for them and Mm. others, it did go well. And then there are people who have had no privileges and have, you know, mm. really taken off and coped Mm. well Mm. and others who have been devastated by their their, Mm. their difficulties. And I'm just curious about the complexities of life that, that, we, I'm sure if I maybe I studied more on that side, I'm mm. I'm all, but I prefer to read biographies and autobiographies. I find that mm. very, very interesting, actually. Yes. Mm. Yeah, we'll come
0: we'll come to that because again, that's another thing that you've done. So um you were saying like you just started looking for your for your dad and then you found him. Almost mm. it's, perhaps we've been prepared to find him. What
2: happened Ooh, with that? Definitely you're you're spot on there, Nikki, because mm. um as nobody spoke about him as a child i just knew you didn't ask questions mm. and so it was always at the back of my mind you know who who is my father and he must be dark because i i'm brown skinned mm. and it wasn't until i was nearly 25 i had um I, between my state registered nursing course cuz that's the era that I was in, the late 60s. And, my, and between that course and my health visiting course, I spent nine months in Paris, working in Paris. I, I, I've always liked the French, always liked the French language. And I went actually just to improve my spoken French. Not that brilliant on the written grammatical French. But. And when I was there, I got very friendly with a French Benin midwife who's very political, and she pointed out to me that I, although I read a lot, she quickly found out that I didn't know any authors of colour. <coughs> Excuse me. And the other thing that she um, – so, so the other thing was she, I told her the story about washing my face ten mm. times as a child to try and become white. And she said, I know the exact book that you need to read, France Fanon's Black Skin, White Masks. Mm. And, Nikki, that book was an absolute revelation to me. Mm. And France Fanon being a um, French Caribbean psychiatrist, mm. radical, yeah. who went to work as a psychiatrist in Algiers, during the colonial occupation of Algiers by France. Mm -hmm. And he observed that individuals, there were individuals who seemed to hate their skin color and wished acted out that they were white, because Mm -hmm. who who had got the power, who had got the privileges? Mm So, you know, and, and he just explored this issue of how it's possible to sort of self-hate yeah. because of your external appearance. Mm. And when I read that book, initially found it difficult to get into because it was quite mm. quite sort of, uh, well, it was very academic. Uh, mm. But gradually I got into it because then I... St- As I was reading it, I could relate it back to myself. Mm. And it was as though the scales came off my eyes. And I thought, that's what's going on with me. That's why I'm so confused and Mm. um, can't sort out what my identity is. And there's Mm. huge gaps and holes in my identity. So when I was nearly 25, I wrote to my mom and asked her to tell me about my dad. Because I didn't even know his name. And she wrote back straight away, agreeing with me that it was difficult for us to talk about this. There was always people in when I went to visit her. There were always people in in, in the house. So she just told me his name, and she said, "I don't. We've lost contact. He's gone back to Nigeria, and he's a lawyer." Um, so I, I don't think you're going to, I think you'll have difficulty finding him. And she was also saying, I'm not sure it's a good idea for you mm-hmm. to even try and find him. And the reason was she was worried that I would experience rejection from him or, or his family, because mm-hmm. she knew he was married as well. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Subsequent, They kept in touch for a period of time. So I had this name and I put it at the back of my diary. I always have these little diaries. And that was a Monday no, so I didn't do anything for three months. So there was obviously, mm. what do I do with it? I didn't know any Nigerians, Nikki, for start. Mm. I was telling you a little bit of a joke because I was telling a mm-hmm. story to somebody, so, so, mm. some young adults, and I got to that point. Oh, you know, got his name. How how can I how can I find it? And this young lad said, "Miss, why didn't you Google him?" Mm-mm. And I said. <laughs> internet wasn't around then and the look of yeah. horror on it what so anyway so i had this name and I, as i said i didn't i didn't know any nigerians three months later though i realized that a friend of mine who was uh from sierra leone john and the barrister happened to mention that he taught nigerian law students occasionally so i thought john was the person to ask what part of Nigeria does this name come from? Could he find that out from his students? That's all I wanted to find out, or, or all I thought I could find out. Mm-hmm. So I saw John on a Monday evening in June 1972, and he said, "Okay, leave it with me, Elizabeth." Wednesday morning, I was working as a health visitor in the clinic in Brent, mm-hmm. and John rang me and said, "I've spoken to your father." That's enough okay. to see mm-hmm. what. I said what well, in Nigeria? I said no, Palmer's Green, North London. Because that's where he, my dad, yeah. and my stepmother, were sort of in London recuperating in the house that mm-hmm. they had in in London after the Biaf- the Nigerian Civil War, the Biafran mm. War. So I mean, goodness me, how lucky was I on all sorts of fronts? Mm. So I went to see my. So no, I phoned my father straight away in, the, in this clinic my, mm. my sister, I just dropped the phone on John picked it up straight away and I'm glad I did that because I would have I, yeah. I? I spoke to my father for the first time and it was just unbelievable and I he invited me to come and visit him and his wife the next day I saw my dad mm. the next day so it was just unbelievable and I knew him for 8 years before he died so on all sorts mm. of fronts things you know, luck was looking down on me. Yeah, in in that things would come together. Mm. Yeah, sorry, I mean, that's, what it's sorted, it's... that's what sorted me out, Nikki. I mean, having having like all the parts come together, all the parts together, and being loved and accepted by all parties. You know, mm. Um, mm. it was it was fun, fant- and I've I just felt normal to be quite honest. Mm. Yeah, mm.
0: how did that sort of getting to know your dad again,
2: or at all, um, change the way that you s- felt about yourself? I felt at ease, I felt um, just I had this inner confidence mm. and I, I think it's I love myself. I actually mm. thought I was all right. I wasn't this freak. Mm. I wasn't this outsider. I, I, I just knew when you've got this void, mm. it, it sort of gnaws at you mm. um, and uh, I, I, I was getting confident slightly mm. before meeting my dad. But mm. after I met him,
0: mm.
2: it was like this inner calm. Mm. I, mean, I was still an angry young woman. I'm mm. an angry old woman now, but you know, not to be angry about. Yeah, <laughs> I, yeah, exactly. But I, I wasn't angry at myself and my confusion about who I was, and mm. um, I just had this inner calm that has stayed mm. with me in terms of my own identity and who mm. I am. And I was proud of who I was. That's yeah. that's the other. That's the other, you know, going back to Mm. um, Franz Fanon's book, Mm. you know, I I just, because I was able to experience now both sides of my Mm. heritage, Yeah, it was was very important, important for both, but I actually see it as more important in terms of my Nigerian heritage. Yeah, definitely. Because of my brown skin and how society, particularly, I'm talking about this country, Yeah, has viewed me from childhood Mm. that that's what they will see first and foremost Mm.
3: yeah
0: it's it's i mean one of the things working in mental health that you know that is so heartbreaking is when people internalize stigma Mm -hmm. you know it's almost like people are poisoned by the world that they live in Mm. and the beliefs that they take inside themselves they just they almost corrupt the, the soul they're really dangerous things they stop people from thriving from being well
2: mm-hmm. and in my
0: one what I'm talking about is is when people believe that they 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 can't progress or they can't be well because of stigma around mental health but you don't always see that and I can't imagine how it must have been for you as a little kid not really understanding the context you were living in not really being able to talk about who you were and, yes and uh, coming uh, it, to a stage of actually doing something like this we'll come to the sickle cell which is so Throw the health of
2: people who look like you. Yeah. <laughs> That's, it's really interesting, Nikki. I had a constant memory mm. in childhood and and early adulthood, and particularly as, as, as a teenager, mm. that people were always looking at me. Mm. I, mean, I suppose I was slightly paranoid, isn't it? it? But I always felt that I was being looked at. Well, mm. I think I wasn't. <laughs> had it right, yes. but. It wasn't a healthy feeling. It was an, an there was an anxiety associated with yeah. people looking at me mm. as, as an object. Um, mm-hmm. I was very um, anxious about it. I, I mm-hmm. had this anxiety about that, Um mm-hmm. that definitely cleared when I knew exactly who I was. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's that's it. That's one sensation that I. And it's a very unsettling sensation, yeah. That that I can recall growing mm. growing up. Yes.
0: Mm. So how did you end up being a health visitor? Did you say in Brent? How did you get there?
2: How did you get to be a nurse? So the wanting to be a nurse stemmed mm. from my time in the children's home. Mm. Because I had extremely bad eczema. Mm. And I had to Go, I presume it was to the sick bay, I can't remember. Mm. But I had dressings applied, I had coal tar paste applied, which was beautifully cooling. Yeah. Really lovely. Then yeah. there'd be gauze put over it, and then the bandage in mm. my arm, armpits mm. and my, my, my knees. Mm. So that that aspect was nice, but I dreaded having the dressing changed mm. unless there was a particular nun there. And I called her the white nun. Well, all the nuns were white, actually, mm. but she used to wear a white nun's habit rather than the traditional black habit. And I would peep around the door because if she wasn't there, I would just run away. I, I wouldn't. Because the other nuns would just tear off the bandage and the gauze would, tear off my skin and it would bleed and it would be painful
3: Mm.
2: and I hated it but this nun she used what we call distraction therapy now
3: Mm.
2: because she used to make me laugh and the reason she made me laugh was she used to use words that I thought were rude. Now, you have to remember, I was brought up in this very, very Catholic atmosphere. I mean, we had religion just yeah. pouring into every orifice. Of mm. And we were taught that nuns were the brides of Christ. These were very holy women. Mm. And so to hear this nun using a word which I thought was a very rude word, bottom. Mm. And I fell for it every time. Mm. I burst out laughing and mm-hmm. before I knew it, the dressing would be off and I didn't experience any pain. Mm-hmm. I mean, I actually adored that woman, I really mm-hmm. did. And then some point before I left the children's home, I discovered she was also a nurse. Now, I never, ever wanted to be a nun, my dear, yeah. religion and I did not go very well <laughs> together at all, but I I wanted to be like this nun. Um, I decided that's what I want to be—a nurse—and I never veered from that at all, mm. at all, at all. And actually, mm. looking back, it was the best choice I made. I thoroughly enjoyed my nursing career. Mm. So, but that was the big influence—that nursing mm. yeah. Mm. And how did you sort of like, because you're the first
0: sickle cell thalassemia nurse? How did that come about? Uh,
2: well, I let me think. I think that the, I call it the three P's actually, personal, professional and political. So professional was the first uh, um, driving force, if you like. And that was because when I was, we're talking about 19, probably 1972 now, when I was health visiting in, in, in Brent. Mm. And I, I, I w- what, there was um, um, a family where there was a mother and her nine-year-old son. I remember mm. he had. Mother told me he had sickle cell anemia, and he he had just come out of hospital and he was lying on the couch and not not. He was just looking uncomfortable. He wasn't screaming with pain or anything like that. And the mother told me her son had sickle cell anemia, and the, she was quite happy, reasonably happy with the care in the children's ward, and the paediatricians. Mm-hmm. But she was really thirsty for knowledge which would help her cope with the child's Mm. condition at home, try and prevent him going into hospital that frequently. What could she do as a mom? Mm. She was asking me. I couldn't, I couldn't. I'd I'd Mm. never had a lecture about sickle cell anemia. And I I was so embarrassed and Mm ashamed actually mm. also angry internally mm. deep anger yeah, yeah, yeah. so that that I always remember that and having to tell this mother that I was really sorry but I didn't know anything I can't remember how I put it but you know mm. and then on the personal side it was when I met my father and found that I had a cousin with sickle cell anemia and he was living mm-hmm. in England so that really brought it home to me and then politically, well, I was a political animal, Nikki. I was, I was in a group called Needle, and I was in the Labour Party for a few years. I'm talking about the early 70s. Mm. We, we, we were influenced incredibly by the American civil rights yeah. uh, that was, you know, going on. And um, I was getting angrier and angrier about this, actually. Why, why didn't I know anything about this condition? Yeah. And then... Uh, I, uh, we, a new hematologist arrived at a central Middlesex hospital in about 1976, I think it was. And I was then a community nurse tutor. So I had my office in the, the School of Nursing. So I got to hear of talks in the postgraduate medical centre. And here was Dr. Brosevich giving a talk about sickle cell anemia. I Couldn't believe it. Right, I was there. And I, she was a wonderful lecturer. And mm-hmm. I asked a lot of questions at the end of that first talk. Mm-hmm. And there was there was a lot of interest in sickle Anemia. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, I wasn't the only person who needed to know. Yeah. So there was so much interest that she gave another lecture. I went to that, asked more questions at the end mm-hmm. of the lecture. And I was coming down the corridor of the hospital and I could hear this click, 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 click. I turned around and it's Dr. Bosovic's. <laughs> Airing after me, and she said, "Look, you seem very interested in this." And honestly, Nikki, to cut a long story short, mm. I ended up working with her mm. as as the first sickle cell nurse specialist. Now, mm. I got the idea. So initially, I didn't I didn't work with her straight away. It was like she asked me if I would. Um, she taught me a lot about the condition mm. and asked if I would go and visit some of the patients on the ward. Mm. I was also I had. Nigerian cousins now out in America. And I quickly found out that if you wanted to know about the comprehensive approach to sickle cell, and as we called it in those days, the health education, the health promotion aspect, which is what I was interested in,
3: Mm.
2: go to America. Mm -hmm. So I went on holiday, stayed with my cousin in Los Angeles, and I was delighted to find out that's where the headquarters of the American Sickle Cell Foundation was. So I hopped in to visit them. Mm -hmm. I have to imagine me at this age, at this period, because I had a huge Afro. Huge. It was Mm -hmm. black then. Mm -hmm. So when I went to the offices, uh, and I just called by chance. I didn't ring them or anything. I just thought, let's see. So I was shown into the chief exec's office, and she was a real feisty woman. And Mm -hmm. I noticed she was sort of, like, glaring at me. Not, Not in a nasty way, but, you know, like, well... And then I opened my mouth, Mickey. Hey, yeah, 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 yeah. English? You're English? <laughs> you have sickle in England? Yeah, it was, it was just brilliant. And the support that that foundation gave to me. And yeah. in fact, they even put me on a course in San Francisco free of charge. They once mm-hmm. my place, yeah. because they really wanted to help the cause back in, mm-hmm. in, in England. Mm-hmm. So, That's where I realised there were sickle cell nurse specialists. Up until that point, I thought it was only paediatricians and Mm. dermatologists that were involved with the care of families with the condition. Mm. That opened my eyes when I saw there were nurses. Mm. So I came back and told Dr. Prosimovic about this, and that's when she started looking for funding for me to work in that uh, area.
0: It's really important to be able to see other people doing things and understand what the possibilities are. Yes. Because you can't just... They don't just bounce out of someone's head. And you know, I think we will talk a little bit about representation and things like particularly your work with Mary Seacole's foundation and statue and all that sort of thing, which is so important. But there is something as well, I think, about sort of visibility, but also knowing who your supporters are. And actually, you know, if you're curious and you're interested and you and you put yourself out there, often people will find you. Yes. And the, that's surprising.
2: The, the, yeah. I'm, looking back it's all those people I I think you call them mentors now or whatever who saw something in me and or what Mm. I was doing and also I quickly learned you can't do anything on your own and I actually love working with teams Mm. I I really enjoy the multidisciplinary but also Mm. the community I love I couldn't work in hospitals I I, I found mm. I, I was subjected to bullying and harassment when I was trying to study midwifery in Scotland mm. and but I got support from the matron of the hospital who, who uncovered it all mm. and um, so I, I was gradually learning that I wasn't comfortable working in on the acute side if you like mm. and I heard about this profession called health visiting mm. and I looked into it and I thought this, this is right up my street I, I really the idea of going into people's homes mm. I've always liked mm. talking particularly with mothers mm. and I've always loved children mm. so it just seemed that this combination I and it made sense to me to try and prevent illness or at least reduce the impact of illness rather than waiting for stuff to happen Mm. to me it was so logical and also I I felt that I could work more independently yeah working the team still but more independently than Mm. I I just felt it might be less hierarchical well there was hierarchy there but it wasn't the same as in in the hospital
0: Mm. and
2: so when when I um it looked into it. I thought, yeah, I, I, that's. The... But I, it, it didn't come easy then because yeah. I actually got failed as a health visitor student on my practice placement, Nikki. Yeah. And the reason for that was, <laughs> well, I'm laughing, but I was really angry mm-hmm. Um that I dared to ask too many questions, mm. and that the, the questions were about the statistics that the health visitors were collecting. I don't know whether it was Section 64 or Section sixty three. Mm. I can't remember which local authority act it was at that point. Because this was in the early 70s when the health visitors were again were, were within the local authority. You know, they then went to the NHS, didn't they? And then I think they're back in the local authority. Mm. I can't, can't mm. keep track, I have to be honest. But so this was the period when they were working in the local authority. And so I was asking the different health visitors who were taking me around as a student mm. what 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 were the what figures were they collecting mm-hmm. and they were they were all very pleasant in replying I had no problems with the health visitors whatsoever but what I did pick up was the range of answers they were giving me the different answers mm. they were giving me oh um well it's uh it's because they were asked to collect new commonwealth new commonwealth mm-hmm. so i remember saying to somebody well what's what what's new commonwealth well i don't know um people people you know dark dark people um people like you my dear um people had funny names um yeah. it was just i'm thinking well, obviously, you're not all collecting the same data, are you? Yeah. I, did, I didn't say yeah. that, but I was putting because I'm quite interested in statistics. So mm. the next question I asked is, well, why are you collecting this <laughs> Yeah. And uh, no, none of them knew. None of them knew. So I dug around a bit, and I discovered this section sixty whatever, and that it was to assist health visitors and others supporting newly arrived immigrants so for example Idi Amin expulsion yeah that that would be an example but you know true so then I when I discovered that I said well why haven't you got any interpreters then what's this money being spent on well, that's when it got to the ears of my supervisor. Sure. I don't know how, but and she hauled me into. I remember yeah. she hauled, <laughs> me how this ho- happening. <laughs> hauled me into her office. Hmm. What do you think? Why? <laughs> she just went off on one, literally. Yeah. And I must have answered back. I mean, I probably I was quite feisty, but I, I just stood up for myself. Yeah. And, and said, right, "You yeah. don't have the right attitude to be a health officer. Mm-hmm. I'm failing you on your placement." Which meant, of course, I was failed. I couldn't become a health minister. Well, after picking myself up from the floor and being really shocked and really down, mm. I'm really so upset, Nikki, honestly. Of yeah. uh, because I, it was a career that I realized yeah. I, I really enjoyed. Yeah. Well, that's when my political links really came yeah. into play and alliances, or whatever we want to call them, because I was. A mm-hmm. member of a group called needle yeah and it was a group literally set up to needle the health service and we, <laughs> guess what we were needling them about i can guess private practice <laughs> yeah nurses pay. oh mm. the whole community which was still you know <laughs> anyway i went i spoke to some of my friends they were, they were there were, there were a few nurses in it. There were some um, medical students. We were mainly students, but not all. I remember there was a mm. dentist, a qualified dentist in this group. Well, we were radical. There was, we were a mm. left we wing group of mm. people. And so I I spoke to one of them. They said, what? And they rallied mm. round. you know. Yeah. And one of them said, listen, the Medical Office of Health in your area, we know of him. He, we think he'll be very sympathetic to what's mm-hmm. happened to you. Mm. And they got in touch with him. He called me to his office. I remember it was in, it was, well, it was in Brent somewhere in Wembley, I think. I, mm. I, so I went into his office. It wasn't huge, but it was, I was scared stiff, Nicky. I, yeah. you know, he, yeah. he just called me to see him. And I didn't know quite what was going to happen. He said, look, tell me what's going on. What's what's happened? So I told him everything. And he said, right. He said, um I'll be having a word with your supervisor. Go, he said, he must have seen my face. Said, don't, don't worry. He said, you've done nothing wrong. Yeah. He said, in fact, you are exactly the sort of person we want in health visiting. He said, I'm getting on to your college uh, because the college had been, because I'd failed. They were going to fail mm. me. Mm. So he did everything. He did everything that he yeah. said. And I got called to, it was Chiswick Polytechnic in those days where they used mm. to do the health visiting course. Mm. And I was told I would have to just wait outside the room where the examiners were going to were discussing my case and whether because at this point I had failed. Yeah. So I sat outside for an hour, an hour. And they came, somebody came out. Mm. Delighted to tell you that you've passed your. (laughs) And I got the official notification the next day. Post was very quick in those days, Nikki. Mm. Now yeah. that taught me so many lessons. Mm, you know, from the depths of despair, seriously, to mm. look, if you open your mouth and tell somebody the right people, people mm. can rally round and sort this out mm. for
0: you. It tells you a lot, doesn't it, about how people handle the truth as well. Mm-hmm. And if so, if you, if someone is left feeling um, uncomfortable and embarrassed and stupid, mm-hmm. very rarely do they thank you for coming and bringing your fantastically know- knowledge. And you get better at telling people things they don't want to hear that mm-hmm. they need to hear, mm-hmm. but they don't want to hear. Mm-hmm. And it's a really sad thing for I think young nurses particularly to learn mm-hmm. that being right isn't always enough. No. You need to be right and smart and protected.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: And have a plan B. (laughs) And and it's difficult, isn't it? Because sometimes I I don't think we give enough support to students and and to to nurses on their way up and how to think about these things and how to understand how to respond when they're treated unfairly. You know, because we just hold hold our hands up and hope that they don't be treated unfairly. When we know generation after generation after generation has had to pick themselves up off the floor. Mm-hmm. It'd be much better to stop it, wouldn't it? But mm-hmm. equally, I think that there's some lessons to be learned, I think, in how we prepare people mm-hmm. to meet resistance because yeah. people don't like changing very much, no. particularly and when it's being challenged they have to identify yeah. stuff, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I wonder if we want to come to Dave because I've just remembered he's there. <laughs> no, <laughs>
1: oh, it's, it's always so nice to listen to Elizabeth speak, and yeah. um, I've heard her speak at a few conferences and on Desert Island Discs oh. and a few other places. Oh. Uh, and it's it's just it's uh, it, as a health visitor as well. It's it's nice to hear you know someone speak so well. Uh, one of the kind of questions I had was you've just kind of described a, a situation where you had to. Go up against the odds and, and and make something change and something happen. Uh, I just wanted if you could share your experience of fighting to get a, a really important statue in in London.
2: Yes, the Mary Seacole statue. Thanks, thanks, Dave. Yes, so the M- Mary Seacole Memorial Statue Appeal was actually set up by Lord Clive Solly. He he'd been a former Labour. Um, MP in West London. And when he was an MP, just about to step down, four Caribbean women in his constituency approached him and asked firstly if he would come with them to visit Mary Seacole's grave, which was in their constituency, uh, that they wished to uh, tidy the grave up would, would he come with them and he, he agreed he went and they also said look that's all she has a grave don't you think she deserves a statue and he said well when I have some time when I when I step down as an MP I'll, let me think about how I can uh, take this further so anyway he became Lord Clive Soli and in 2003 he established the mary sicom memorial statue appeal now our paths had crossed because i was i was actually he was my mp actually i didn't know him that well but he 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 had heard of me come across me when i was at the university of west london in ealing and um but he was also told when he set up the Mary Seacole Memorial Statue of Appeal, he was being told about me because I set up this Mary Seacole Centre for Nursing Practice at the university, and he there were I'm trying to think now there were eleven others of us that became trustees of of the in the Mary Seacole um appeal which became a charity and I became vice chairperson of of that charity and I I retired in 2007 and one of the things the ways I felt that I could help the charity was I did got I did like lecturing and I thought if I um could go around the country giving talks about who, you know, who was Mary Secret, because her profile wasn't as high as it is now. And so I thought if I could give talks within the NHS, women's groups, community groups, black organizations, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and then think ask them to think about making a donation, that could be a contribution I could make. And it really took off, and I was really kept quite busy. But, you know, our, our networks are incredible, particularly in the NHS. Word of mouth. Oh, yeah, I'm quite good. To, I can give. I can talk about Mary, you know. And uh, I, I really enjoyed it. And so, I, I, that, there was a whole whole crowd of people who came on board. Uh, and in just under, I think just under twelve years, we raised. Three quarters of a million pounds. It's a huge amount of money, isn't it? But a lot of it was through grassroots uh, contributions. Pound here, five pound there. People organising It I think about... We got the funding. We, we knew we'd get the funding. Well, the statue was unveiled in 2016. I don't know how many years before that we realised, you know, we can make... We can get to this target... It was a long time when we were quite dispirited because of the low profile and also because tiny vociferous opposition, uh, you know, what's new? So, yeah, it was, was, well, it was a very important part of my retirement in the end, yes. Mm, Definitely, definitely. And I know loads
0: of students go to look at it. Oh, I am pleased. And Yeah, it's really important.
2: It's, it's a beautiful really, monument, really actually. And
0: and in itself, it's a very beautiful image of a, of a, of a powerful woman. I love yeah. that kind of forwardness of it. It's, it's,
2: it's a Martin Martin Jennings was the sculptor. Yeah. And he really did his homework in terms of the mm. personality. Uh, he, he knew Mary Seacole's autobiography, you know, back to front. Mm. He went out to the Crimea himself. And to Jamaica. He did a, a huge amount of research. Mm. And I, I think that's why it is so well received, that, mm. that study. And St. Thomas's Hospital donated the site. And, you know, it, yeah. it, it, what I enjoyed about it that period, Nikki, was you saw people coming together from all walks of life, all backgrounds with this common purpose. You know, we can Mm. do this. Initially, oh, can we do it? Do you think we'll ever get to this? Mm. And then suddenly, uh, and that, then there was a sort of bandwagon effect, which was wonderful. Mm. Because Mm. at that point, maybe a few years before we got the grand total, people Mm. started to think, actually, I think this statue is going to happen. I I think I'd like to join forces. But there were people who'd been with us right from the word go when Pockets of cold water were poured over the idea that you could ever raise that amount of money. Yeah. or worse is you didn't need
0: it. That's why I, I remember That those conversations. I'm but sorry. A pe- when people just people said you just didn't need it. And I was like, who are you to say what other people need? Oh, yes, yes. That, was ex- that, that Those were the conversations I found very difficult. And the ones when back in the day when it was like, it was kind of like a popularity conference um, um, and you could either pick... Lawrence Nightingale or Mary oh, C. Cole. And it was like, they were like, like as a boxing ring. Like,
2: no, no. You can have more than one person who does a good yes. thing and in the this, world. This, <laughs> okay. this, this, this was artificially constructed Oh
0: yeah,
2: uh, in order to... Uh, uh, and, and I hear somebody's just, not today actually,
3: yeah.
2: told me that uh, a certain historian, oh. um, who we won't yes. mention, <laughs> uh, on a channel that we won't mention, <laughs> new channel... Sure. <laughs> um, was spouting off this 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 oh she wasn't a nurse, she wasn't oh with you know and you know it was interesting for a nanosecond Nikki it brought back that vile feeling that it created at times. I have to be honest. Yeah. Um, but I thought, no, no. It exists. She's and nothing there. anyone can do can change and that. And people, people wanted mm. to support it. I mean, to raise, yeah. as I said, to raise that amount of money mm. In a, from people who didn't have much money. You know, yeah. we did get some big grants, of course. It, and as I said, that was quite interesting. You know, we were, mm. we were talking to all sorts of people. Lord mm. Solis sort of went for the sort of big donors, et cetera. I I, I really love the grassroots, uh, you know, talking to people about and having to mm. um, defend what some, you know, the negative comments. and And, and I love history. Mm-hmm. And actually say no, that's not actually correct. You know, this yeah. this, this is this, this is, and here is the evidence for it. Because mm-hmm. yeah, I am into evidence based um, mm-hmm. information, Elizabeth. And, and just
1: off, off what you said about the comments from today, and you know that there shouldn't be a, a Mary Seacole statue. Mm-hmm. I suppose have you got any kind of thoughts and comments about this this month's Black History Month and kind of the importance of that?
2: Sorry to. The, the importance of black history
1: <coughs> month is that yeah i suppose it's that bit about do you see that black history month is an important thing to do and an important kind of celebration to to have and 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 why it makes a difference
2: yeah i, I first and foremost as as many people are saying this should be integrated throughout the whole year however i can see how having a black history month uh, for good or bad organisations Come on board at that time of the year. Now you could argue, well, they should be on board all, all throughout the year, and I, I totally agree with that. But I'm also happy to have this concentrate. It's exhausting, I can tell you, but uh, it, it it it's it is a time when you see more in the media. Yep. You see some organisations respectfully addressing Black history. Uh, etc. As to how it relates to their organisation and their, mm. their their staff, for example, etc. Etc. So I think we need a mix, and I think we're starting to get a mix that we're seeing through programs. Obviously, David Olusoga is a good example. Yeah. We don't just see his programs in Black History Month; they are threaded throughout the year, and there are many others. Um, There's another professor Olivet who who is a wonderful um, historian, and there there are many. And there's um, there's a group called Young Historians, actually, which is um, they're on Twitter. I recommend people looking at them. They're uh, young black Mm. students of history or already historians, and. You know they're 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 really good because you know, for example, we're told that um, the first black nurse in the NHS was a Mrs. Colifora Pratt, who was Nigerian, uh, a wonderful you know person and uh, very, but actually she wasn't the first. There, there were black nurses way before the NHS started and right into the NHS. Mm-hmm. and they took that on board and uh, uh, and i think that's that's what i love about learning about a history of peoples that has been hidden neglected yeah. suppressed distorted for whatever reasons we, we we know most of those reasons so mm-hmm. yeah so uh, uh, you know so Black History Month has has a purpose, but not the sole purpose. And mm. certainly for somebody like myself, I do find October exhausting. I really do find <laughs> it exhausting. I'm not complaining, but I do suggest to people I can actually give talks outside <laughs> very <afternoon> to January, <laughs> okay. February, March, April, and you know. But you know, we, I'm also you know, Nikki, you were talking about. Us enabling student nurses and young nurses to be aware of, I think, the context, the the Mm. strategies they they could be using. You know, I am also aware that for many people contacting me, that's the only time they get a budget to do anything like this. That's the only time they can get any funding to Mm. organise. Now, you know, what we should, what we wish would be that an organisation, be it an NHS trust or whatever should be using their education budget or whatever it's called these days, CPD. I I, I don't know. I'm out of touch on what what, Mm. the title of the budget would be, but that should be Mm. spread throughout the year so that Mm. uh, it's not constraining those people who genuinely want to have these events, which cost money, Mm. uh, but the only time they can get a bit of money, if they're lucky, is October. Mm. Mm.
3: It's
0: difficult, isn't it? But I guess... At least if that stuff is out there, then it's there for people to see. And I, I guess one of the dangers is that people can feel so lonely, like they're the first person any of this has happened to. But when you look back and you see people walking before you, you know the paths that you can follow. And it's it doesn't necessarily change the difficulties you're going through, but I think it might make it a little bit easier
2: I think understand. people find it heartening, actually. And, mm. uh, yeah, I, I, I agree.
0: So I've got a couple of questions from students here. The one that made me smile the most is, um, Dua Lipa is a fan of yours. Are you a fan of hers? Oh. But I guess that's referring to your Brit award.
2: <laughs> Sorry. Uh, <laughs> Answer carefully. <laughs> I, listen, Maybe I, I, it. Look, I'm just, I'm just, re- it's, the memory of it all is, is coming back yeah. in floods um, I, I, I <laughs> People have asked me, are you a friend of Dua Lipa? Was she a friend of
3: you?
2: Mm. I loved Dua Lipa before. Mm. I, I, I'd already downloaded mm. We're Good. I love We're Good. Mm. That's my mm. that's my favourite track of her. Levitation's not bad either, but anyway. Mm. Yeah, i agree. So, so <laughs> I, I love music of, of, across a load of genres. But I wasn't watching the Brits that night. And mm. a friend rang me to congratulate me on Dua Lipa giving me a shout out. And I said, What? So she said, Elizabeth, aren't you even watching this program? I said, No. She said, I thought you must know her. How, how does she know But I said, I have no idea. So fortunately, it was on ITV. So on ITV one, what was it? ITV plus one. Mm. I was able to watch the Brits through, you know, the second time it was it came out mm. evening. Well, it was a huge shock. And I'm still mm. not sure how she how she heard about me. But you know what? She had. This was one of the uh, what I did learn was she was performing at O2, and it was the first big event Mm. post-lockdown. And a lot of frontline care workers had been given tickets. So she was obviously aware, and her management must have been aware of that. So somehow. They, she, she had found this, or her management had found this statement I'd made when I was asked a question. How did I feel about? Do you remember we were all clapping for carers? That, that. I do remember was it Thursday night. I don't, I don't know. Mm-hmm. So I'd been asked a question by a journalist. What did I think about claps, claps for clap, clap front lines and nurses? It was particularly mm-hmm. focused on nurses. Mm -hmm. And I said, well, you know, very well to be clapping them. What they need is a decent pay rise. And I think, you know, that just... PPE would have been... And that was picked up (laughs) a bit, you know. And so that's what she'd heard. Mm -hmm. And so and at that Brit Awards, it was the first time that not only did the winners get the, the, the big Brit Award, but they were given, oh, hold on. What I said this earlier? This this is the statuette. It's 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 yeah. lovely. It really is sweet, yeah. and actually, it's quite heavy. Yeah, <laughs> solid little thing. So yeah. each of the winners was also given this for them uh, to announce who who they would give this to, and they could they could just choose who they wanted to. And you, I love that That's an idea. There was. Um, there were some very poignant choices made yeah. by, by hey-oh, so.
0: <laughs> Fame at last. I love the way she's, you're not watching the Brit. like, no, <laughs> like, I'm not. Um, we've got a fantastic question from Ben Glass. Um, it's a bit of a complicated one to go into right now, but maybe we can circle back to that um, and just answer some questions afterwards in the in the tweets and on Facebook. Um, Diana Mendes-Lopez is saying absolutely to the things we were talking about, prevention being key. Um, very hard sometimes to keep the finances in place for preventative work and the emphasis on it, but it's absolutely right. Um, Amanda Cass saying um, how fascinating it is to listen oh, to. Amanda. Story.
2: Hello, Amanda. I know Amanda. Yeah. Um, she describes she's a truly phenomenal woman.
0: Always oh, a good thing to hear. You've got a long so list of awards. Which was your favourite to get, as she
2: asks um pride of britain you know pride of britain because again i'm a bit dippy sometimes when i got that call from pride of britain i I actually associated pride of britain with children because you 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 remember the stories of the children and the courage and the i i don't know so that's that's (laughs) i didn't actually realize adults got pride of britain awards so Mm -hmm. that 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 was a real shock and a very pleasant surprise to be given the lifetime achievement award. Mm. The, the, the the next big surprise was. Okay, I was caught, it was the last award of the evening and. Nicky, there were celebrities just hanging from the ceiling. I've never <laughs> seen so many celebrities in my life. I was there with my daughter, my granddaughter, and my granddaughter is now she's thirteen. Well, she knew so many of these. In fact, you know, subsequently, she's told me that Dua Lipa was there. I don't remember that? But anyway, um, <laughs> that was twenty nineteen. Anyway, you're amazed. That's when you didn't see her. <laughs> Terrible. Well, it, <laughs> So anyway, so it was the last award of the night, so you go on stage, and Carol Vorderman is the, 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 the compare for, for the evening. Mm. So she's, she's chatting away, and then they show a little video of you, which they filmed before, obviously, and then she says to me, well, the person that's going to um, present your award has also been involved with uh, quality issues janet jackson <laughs> I've, yeah, I've, 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 got, I've got the clip now and you can just see my jaw and i turn around and who's smoothly coming across the stage but Ms. janet jackson who presented me with the award so that that was an evening to remember and you know my mm. it was beautiful having my family there you know and and yeah it was it was yeah, it was good fun that night. And I think back also, because I'm not doing any face-to-face still because of wretched mm, of COVID. I, uh, and so I, I, these are quite nice memories of when we all used to get together and not worry about, you know. Yeah. Uh, mm. yeah. We've got um,
0: a couple more questions, so I'll hand back to Dave just to finish up.
1: Sorry, I was just cutting and pasting some pictures onto Twitter. Uh, so we have a few more comments. Uh, Dina Mendez Lopez has said lots of nice things about you.
2: Oh, thank in, you.
1: In that we still need a needle today. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and geez. on her, Joanne oh, Gern has said, Why is Mary Seacole not very well celebrated? She was a very brave woman.
2: Mm-hmm. Yes, I think um, I, I would partially agree to that. I think things have improved a, a huge amount mm-hmm. in terms of the awareness about Mary Seacole. Um, although, it, as, as, as with anything, it, it, it could be better. But I think that having that beautiful statue um, has helped enormously.
1: Brilliant. And have I missed anything, Nikki, that I've already shared with you that I've not sent? Uh, oh, Amanda um, says, "Wait, Jane
2: Harvey."
0: <laughs> Please oh, let Jane. Dame Elizabeth know how much I've appreciated her talk. I did my health visitor training 76, 77, although I passed, I too had issues with challenging practice. Mm-hmm. This was not um, new to me, as happened to me throughout my four years of nurse training as well. Nothing's changed since, which I'm uh, sorry uh, to hear. Sorry uh, to hear that, Jane. Uh, um, as a, a children's nursery child advocate, as an HV you are families advocate, to be an effective advocate, you have to be able to advocate for yourself. Mm. So it's a very really good point made there. It's something that we must need to work on a little bit more in terms of nurse education. Mm. And Sulo says, never tire of hearing you talk, which is a lovely thing to say. Aww, thank you. <laughs> Maybe um we are going to have to get to a stage where we wrap up now because we have overshot a little bit, but it's been just so nice just having a conversation, just chilling out together. So I really appreciate that. Um before I come to you, Elizabeth, is there anything else that you know you want to? Just remind us off before we go. Let's just come to Dave. Is there any last questions from you or anything that you wanted to say? Because I appreciate you being a little quiet tonight.
1: <laughs> Sorry. Uh, like I said before, it's just so nice listening. And, you know, Elizabeth, you're just such a cool nurse, you know, kind of listening yeah. to you speak about your history and, and everything that you've kind of done. Uh, and you kind of, you, you do meet those nurses, don't you, where you kind of think, you know, it's not about just being a nurse. It's about mm-hmm. using that skilled using that time using the compassion and trying to do as much as you can with it uh, and I know Nikki you know as a as a lecturer who is sort of teaching uh the the, the nurses of tomorrow and and certainly middle sex, a lot of black nurses of tomorrow you know it's just so great that she can share you know the, the copy of tonight's episode with them uh because mm. you know you're just such an amazingly brilliant role model so uh yeah. you know I, I do feel really privileged that I've had the opportunity to meet you and to sort of, you know, yeah. uh, have those conversations in the past. Hopefully not sounding too smolchsy, but you know, it's it's just really nice to be involved in that conversation again tonight. So uh, thanks, Elizabeth. And I've got a copy of your original book, but I'll be getting a copy of the new book. And I know you're saying about it being available as a as a audio book as well. So, uh, you know, I'd, I'd really recommend everyone listening to, uh, you know, as soon as they turn off tonight's episode, uh, get on online and get a copy ordered. So uh, I, I suppose they're, they're my closing thoughts, Nikki. How about yourself?
0: A Message from Lovelace Binny. Hello, Lovelace. Saying, what's the advice you can give us, upcoming nurses, Elizabeth and and Keith? You're ready. Saying, um, what concerns about what concerns do you have about mental health in the community because of COVID? So, so one question there quickly about community COVID. Another one about advice for upcoming nurses. Well, I think advice about
2: upcoming nurses is 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 certainly to be. Um, at ease with yourself and and be assured of why you came into nursing, but also to try and find the area where maybe there's a gap, something that enthuses you about practice, and maybe specialise if you want to in that area because your passion Mm -hmm. and your anger will actually I think make it easier to study because you're going to have to study sorry (laughs) (laughs) my lecture hat there sorry um what was the other question I'm sorry the
0: The other question is um
2: what's your concern about
0: uh, mental health in the community in COVID time I think because you said you weren't going out and you weren't giving public talks
2: yes um well I fortunately I quite like tech so it's wonderful uh you know Mm. Dave asked me to take part in this so Um, we've had to adapt uh, but it hasn't been a big adaptation for me going online and I feel I'm connected to the world and I think that's helping my mental health the other thing though um, for all we know about what we're supposed to do and not do to keep ourselves healthy one thing this wretched covid pandemic has helped me um, is to I do a daily walk unless the weather is foul. And I'm doing about four or five miles. I, I, I've got into podcasts, which I never, you know, because yeah. I need to listen to something, usually music, but now I'm into podcasts as well. So um, I, I don't think I'm really the best person to talk about mental health and COVID. I think there's so many more experts mm-hmm. I really do think that. All mm-hmm. I can do is talk about how, as a 74-year-old who had to go into COVID, into lockdown a week mm-hmm. before Everybody else, remember the over 70s had to go into lockdown, Mm -hmm. but how scary it was and how unsettling it all was. Mm. But now actually I've got quite used to it. I think my problem will be getting back to big face-to-face events. I I, I think that's going to be very, I want to be assured that this wretched COVID pandemic is is well and truly under control. So I think that's my anxiety and I think that's Mm something that i think people but it's not an issue um, sadly it should that should be an issue we should be wanting to have in a way when covid is no longer a threat Mm. but um it's going on isn't it yeah for a while yeah i think my goodness
0: yes so also can i
2: say thank you to all of you on the front line and out there because what you're going through is, is i really think is nothing compared somebody like myself i really Mm. am at ease with saying that i can tell you Mm. so a big thank you to everybody and look after yourselves
0: Mm, It's a good place for us to end then so thanks to everybody and look after yourselves have a lovely evening it's been great to see you all tonight night night good night bye-bye see you next week